Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for listening to another episode of our book club. Get this, Donnie Iris just turned 80 years old. Can you believe that? It doesn't feel like he should be that old, and yet he is. And it feels that way because if you've been paying any attention, he still puts on a number of shows a year. He still rocks. He still looks great. And so to celebrate his 80th birthday, I wanted to chat with the author of a book, The Story of Dottie Iris and the Cruisers. The author is D.X. Ferris. This is the most uh, exhaustive and research, heavily researched book you will ever read about Donnie Iris. And more specifically, I think a lot of the, his band members, especially Mark Absek, who wrote and produced most of the music. So Ferris is on here, and we just get in deep into why he would write a book on Donnie Iris and what the personalities are like and uh, what Donnie, his, how his songs and his hits, there were only a few hits, but there were so many good songs, still live up and carry on today. I got a spare copy of this book that we're going to be giving away to a Patreon supporter. I'll talk about that at the end. But I think you'll enjoy this really fun conversation. First of all, Ferris is great, and his book is excellent. So I think you'll enjoy this conversation whether you're a fan of Donnie or not. He called me from his home in Pittsburgh. First and foremost, now you go by Ferris, right? Yeah, almost everybody that likes me calls me Ferris, including my wife. <laughs> okay. uh, DX is like an old high school nickname that that stuck. Oh. Uh, when I started writing and the internet became a thing, there were already a couple of David Ferris's out there that were a tech journalist in California and an engineer in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And there's, as far as I know, only one DX Ferris. Okay. So I hate to use words like branding, but uh, that became a primal exercise of branding and making a, a straight easy line to me and me only but yeah please it. friends and family uh call me ferris please consider okay. yourself eligible for the friend thank and you family thank you i will okay so ferris here's the deal i was trying to think this is probably the biggest and most comprehensive book ever written about a four hit wonder who is a marginal rock seven. star or seven Set, okay, but Seven I thought 100, you, four top four. Uh, okay, but we're talking top 40 here, and you were pretty clear about I think there's, I think it's, if you count the rapper, I think it's four. Anyway, mostly just successful regionally and not the world's best or most compelling rock star, I guess. Kind of an average Joe, every man, you know? And uh, this is like the, like I said, the, most comprehensive book ever written about somebody who marginally deserved a book in the first place. <laughs> no, he totally deserved the book. He absolutely. I know. I love Donnie, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I understand. I mean, there is a there's a book out there about the Atlanta rhythm section. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's one about Mother's Finest, but they certainly deserve it. I think every half decent band deserves a four to eight hour documentary. That's why I started the podcast. I've joked about it before. In my mind, it's like behind the musics for everybody. You get a behind the music and you get a behind the music and you get it. You know what I mean? That was the idea. Like, let's tell everybody's story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For what you like and for what I like and for the people that you have on this show, Uh this is like me being on NPR's Fresh Air right now. This is a big (laughs) deal to me. Thank you. Um, the Sig Sig Sputnik episode, oh, that's yeah. that's a book that I've wanted to read for 20 years, and that <laughs> episode delivered that book. And Thank you do you. some important work on here, and you do it well. 
Thank so, you very much. Well, you know, long time, uh, first time. I'll take my answer <laughs> off the air. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, so, yeah, so like, tell I, me about I, why I this, this book. Yeah, Donnie uh, deserves that kind of band. Uh, Donnie and Donnie Iris and the Cruisers are, um, you know, on one hand, they're the kind, they're a fairly typical archetypal sort of band. And on the other hand, they, they are uh, a very distinct sort of group. Uh, Donnie Iris is the, uh, the classic rock champion of Pittsburgh. He is the front man of the Cruisers. And before them, he was the front man of the Jaggers. Uh, the cruisers are, uh, like I said, on one hand, they're a fairly archetypal kind of group, but on the other hand, they're distinguished uh, and distinct. Donnie has had uh, hot 100 singles with three different acts between 1969 and 1988. That's a fairly rare distinction. The cruisers, his best known band that we're talking about, is uh, an also ran power pop band who had seven hot 100 singles from 1980 to 1985 now in that time period that is as many uh hot 100 singles as bruce springsteen as huey lewis in the news and as the police now they certainly did not chart as high mm -hmm. and i'm not making any kind of argument that that donnie's comparable to them but my point is that donnie iris and the cruisers were in fact a competitive presence in the game mm -hmm. when the game was at an all-time high mm -hmm. yes so so that's that's how they were uh fairly an archetypal act in that they were a huge regional fan base or they represented a huge regional fan base but they were obscure outside and you know maybe not every town has one but he's comparable to tommy conwell yes good call yes uh, mother's finest in georgia and much more directly comparable again to uh to mention them atlanta rhythm section uh mm -hmm. dean daughtry r.i.p mm -hmm. he passed recently very comparable career to that so if you know the cruisers you probably know them about or you know them from alia a big 1980-1981 single and uh, more recently, it turned up in the Wet Hot American Summer TV show. Classic, yeah. And it, it pops up. Uh, even if you don't think you know Donnie, you would hear it. Mm -hmm. um, or you would recognize it. So on one hand, um, they are the kind of band that is incorrectly remembered as a one-hit wonder. But on the other hand, and here's the interesting stuff, uh, the members' careers overlap with, depending how you want to count them, between four and six Rock and Roll Hall of Fame acts mm -hmm. in meaningful ways, in significant mm -hmm. ways. Bon Jovi, Kiss, Gamble and Huff, Carlos Santana, even very briefly a pre-Nine Inch Nails Trent Reznor. Now also in there, you, you have some work with Joe Walsh's James Gang, mm -hmm. Wild Cherry, Mason Ruffner, Sonny Geraci. Uh, we're getting down to smaller names here, but you get cameos along the way from Irving Azoff, Jerry Weintraub, legendary mm -hmm. producer, mm -hmm. promoter known for Frank Sinatra's comeback tour. Love the Ocean's yes. Eleven movies. There's a great documentary on Jerry, by the way. Yeah, He's a great. wonderful one. He's a very memorable character. Neil Bogart, the founder of Casablanca Records. Cinderella, The Gods. So all the guys worked meaningfully with all of those or brushed past them. And 
this is the story of that. But more importantly, it's the story of how they remained a band of friends and a band of brothers. And it's an interesting band, even though maybe they only have one song that most people know or not most people know. Yeah, I feel like, too, that song, Aliyah, that's a song that I hear more now than I, I've heard more in the last five to 10 years than I had in the previous 30 years. It's really? sort of kind of, among like my friends and, and now that, and I'm, you know, I know a lot of people who do podcasts and they do music podcasts and they play songs and they talk about Donnie and I feel like his star has risen not you know not to the highest but it's better he's it's brighter now than it was for most of the 90s you know what yeah, i mean yeah it is i mean part of the part of the spoiler of the story is that long story short commercial airplay has always been mostly bought and paid for now some years more than than others but you know it's always been commercial real estate to some degree and donnie never had anybody backing him that hard to get there and now that that unbreakable grip is ended and it's less of a monoculture and we're not relying on fm radio programmers and culture material is able to rise on its own merits even if it is very good point 40 years later very good point so let me ask you this do you think that their fortunes might have been differently had they played the rock and roll game had they moved to la had they you know i know they opened for hollow notes here and there and other bands like that but if they'd really gotten out of cleveland gotten away nothing against mike belkin anything they became was thanks to the help of mike belkin fighting for them but if they had got given it all up and gone to la do you think things would have been different possibly possibly but <sighs> Yeah, I start off the book with the quote, you, you dance with who you who you brought. You dance <laughs> with the one that brought you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Donnie, you, you cannot discount or minimize or trivialize in any way Donnie's contributions to Donnie Iris and the Cruisers. But yeah, as I say in the book, when you say Donnie Iris and the music of Donnie Iris, chances are very good that you are talking about music that is in fact a creative collaboration between two people, mm-hmm. Donnie Iris and his band leader, songwriter, producer, um, mm-hmm. background vocalist, Mark Avsek, who is a, yeah. a fascinating talent and yes. a fascinating character. And uh, if Donnie had dumped him, I don't, I don't think they would be together as long as they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they might not be friends anymore. And I don't know that anybody would have known what to do with Donnie. Mm. You know, Donnie, if you look at his first video for Aliyah from 1980, 1981, it looks like a cheese ball, mm-hmm. no budget video to our eyes. And people that, that have seen it or for people that have not seen it, it's Donnie dancing with a hot blonde mm-hmm. with just a white background and an old yellow tux. And there are some proto-digital effects, but it looks like a zero-budget affair. Yeah. Not very impressive. However, in context, that is a clip that was filmed before the term music video was even in universal use. They didn't know what to call it. Finding a soundstage that is all white is pretty expensive. They don't have those just lying around. It's Mm. not 
as simple as painting a room white and the video effects in it were envelope pushing at the time mm-hmm. so people might know him for that the other thing i think but, is but kind he, of... was, he was the kind of guy that you know as as the video era went on it wasn't necessarily kind to people his age you know, that's Chris what i was going to say i think what gets lost in some of this is that he was nearly 40 when that song came out he's yes. turning 80 this month so he yes he was not going to be anyone's hot new thing yeah, and if exactly. he had had a long 70s period like a phil collins might have or a steve winwood might have or one of those other bands one of those other artists who sort of changed technology and then had a you know bigger time in the 80s than before that might be different but they weren't he was just a new guy coming along and there were younger people better looking with skinnier ties that could fill that role you know? yeah so i i think if you would have ditched his uh, you know his brother in the trenches his mm-hmm. songwriter his producer if he would have ditched him i think he would have ditched him exactly at the perfect time for nobody to pay attention to him anyway ah good and point. then it all would have collapsed yeah you're uh, probably right this is being hindsight or hindsight being 2020 yeah but uh you know it's interesting you mentioned donnie's 80th birthday uh by the time that this airs it will be over but the band is about to play a concert to celebrate donnie's 80th birthday and it is at pittsburgh's upmc event center the capacity there is four thousand, and it is sold out. Sold Crazy out. That's, to me. That is the biggest band or the biggest headlining show they've ever played, and uh, it's sold out. And that's pretty good for a band that has not released <laughs> a major label album in thirty-nine years. Crazy. So Crazy. part of the the greatness of this story is that they didn't make all those desperate moves to try and make their moment last yeah good point not making their moment last they made it last 40 50 years yeah it's interesting i in reading your book on donnie i was reminded of a conversation i had recently with john cafferty from the beaver brown band i listened to it oh thank you so the thing that struck me about johnny john cafferty and a little bit to some degree, uh, I had Marshall Crenshaw on here a few years ago, and there's similarities between all these guys. First of all, as fans of people like Donnie or Marshall or John, we think, oh, I wish they were bigger. I wish that they had had more hits and they had had more videos and sold more records and, and that their career just stayed big the whole time. And then you get to know them. And you realize that in Marshall's case, that really wasn't interesting to him. He didn't want to, he didn't want that. And in John's case, and this is where Donnie comes in a little bit, I felt like John Cafferty's career went about as far as his imagination could take it. And he hasn't put out an album since like 1990 or something, but he plays every weekend somewhere. And he's fine doing that because that was success to him. Success to John Cafferty was playing at a, you know, a boardwalk or a bar or something every weekend and playing his, the songs that he likes. And I sort of feel similarly about Donnie. This, what his career turned out to be what he would probably consider was successful. And that was yeah, good absolutely. enough for him. I, mean, I, I went into the book with the premise of, oh my gosh, Donnie Iris, he's my hero. I'm from Pittsburgh. Yeah. He's from Pittsburgh. He should have been huge because he's the greatest. Yeah, I went in thinking that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through my life, I've been a Donnie Iris evangelist. Have you heard the good news about Donnie Iris, John? <laughs> Let me share my testimony. Uh, but everybody that I gave a greatest hit CD to would invariably say, 
oh my gosh, this is great. He should have been huge. I'm talking metal people, hardcore people, people with a lot of tattoos would listen to Donny Iris and say, wow, he should have been huge. So that was my premise going into the book. And what I learned over writing the book was that they, in fact, overachieved, given all the obstacles they had and the resources they did not have and the way the game is played. It's amazing that they got on the field at all. Mm -hmm. It really is. Um, something, too, I want to get back to how hard it is to find Donny Iris albums. But something you and I were chatting about on Twitter and stuff is that, to me, your book is almost more the story of Mark Absek than it is Donny Iris. The reason being is that I feel like Donnie is mostly Mark's mouthpiece. They make an album when Mark has the ideas. It's Mark's songs, not in always, but especially after the first couple, Mark is the one who's kind of driving the bandwagon or the wagon train or whatever. He's the one sort of saying, let's get back into a studio and do this because I have some ideas. And Donnie being the nice laid back guy that he is, is like, okay, cool. Just tell me where to be and I'll be there. And I'll sing it, whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a partnership, not unlike what happened with Joe Walsh and the Eagles. Mm. Joe Walsh has some incredible solo albums with increasingly rare moments above greatness, but Joe Walsh is the show. You want to see him. But I, I also get the sense that he had said most of what he wanted to say. Mm. And then he joined the Eagles and then he had a vehicle to make his presence felt. And Donnie's is a lot like that. And again, you cannot discount Donnie's contributions to Donnie Iris. Donnie wrote his most high-charting single, uh, 1972's The Rapper with the Jaggers, which went to, you know, like so many things in the Donnie story, it's kind of a number one single, kind of not. Uh, it was number one for Record World, number two for Billboard. But yeah, Donnie... Uh, yeah, he wrote the songs he had written. He got as far as, as he was going to go as just himself. And he found a partnership with Mark. So Donnie, you know, one of the great things about Donnie is that he was Donnie and he remains Donnie and he's 80 years old and he's still Donnie. But Mark is the one who changes and evolves and starts yes. off as one kind of thing and grows into something entirely, not entirely different, but develops a second side of him that is... Uh, a million miles from home so yes very, very true. much mark's story as well and it was fascinating to me because probably half the book is kind of an oral history as well you're sort of narrating as it goes along and again donnie's laid backness and like oh yeah i kind of like that song or I, I i didn't mind that song or whatever that was fun that's pretty much all donnie ever has to say about anything whereas mark is laying his neuroses out there on the table Oh, I, I was so disappointed when this didn't work out, or I hate that song. I wish I hadn't ever recorded that song. He's so hard on himself. He is. He is. Mark is very, very Catholic, and, uh, <laughs> and it shows. It shows. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, he is really kind of the star of the book. Something else I wanted to talk about, and this is something that was new to me that I learned in the book. Um, I, and I don't even know that I'm describing this right, but there's that radio station that sort of turns Donnie into a meme, I guess you might say, before there were memes, right? Yes, exactly. You know, okay, the point explain Donnie, it was... to us, because I feel like that's, in some ways, what keeps his flame lit for a while. 
Yeah, that is that is absolutely it. I mean, that's the power of the the glowing golden presence that is Donnie and the infectious personality and in the the lack of selfishness about Donnie. Uh in the 1990s when their career had stalled to uh an all-time low, you know, commercially they were no longer a presence at all. Uh they were not a huge force on the touring circuit. They were playing state fairs. Mm-hmm. which a lot of bigger bands play state fairs and it's good money and uh they don't hire you to play state fairs for nothing you have to bring it um but the band was playing state fairs and at that point donnie would literally finish mowing the lawn get in the car and go to the show that's a great story <laughs> and and that's how authentic he is that's him uh-huh. but uh pittsburgh is very much a classic rock town in a way that, that few towns are they put it in the water there. I mean, by the time I was in college, I didn't care if I ever heard heard Led Zeppelin again. They just and you know, similarly, Cleveland, a couple hours away, is the kind of city that has a couple stations that run ads like nobody plays more Pink Floyd. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you can literally flip from one station to the next, and one's playing a Pink Floyd song, and uh-huh. you get to the next one, and it's the same song. <laughs> at a different point in the song like oh you're kidding me so pittsburgh is very classic rock oriented yeah or i'm a rock writer i should say orientated uh, which is not a real word so the big classic rock station in pittsburgh is dve wdv which for decades has been a huge institution it's never far from number one in the ratings and in the 90s they had one of those morning shows that just happens to somehow capture the culture of the town and really transformed it Uh, a lot of people that know a little bit about pittsburgh know that there's something of a caricature of pittsburgh people because it's the town this, the state Pennsylvania literally means Penn's woods. Uh, William Penn, his wood is literally a, a backwoods town, um, but it's fiercely pride, uh, proud and capable. It's the city of champions. And uh, the Pittsburgh town is, is famous for a certain kind of local character, comparable to Norm and uh, Cliff on Cheers, that kind yeah. of thing the canadian uh the mckenzie brothers bob and doug yeah that sort of character talk like this a little bit are you just going down to donnie iris i'm going to donnie iris <laughs> what do you mean you ain't going to donnie iris you're a jag off <laughs> i ain't a jag you're a jag and people would talk like that with a sort yes. of distinct dialect yes and <laughs> the, the key emblematic word from that dialogue from that dialect is yuns mm. and i won't bore you with going into the, the dialectic roots of it <laughs> But in the 1970s, 1980s, early 1990s, people that said Yuns were seen as gauche and uncultured and untouchable. And the 1990s WDVE morning show, Scott Paulson, Jim Cren, were able to take this character and they changed that Yuns, right? Hey, are Yuns going down there? And they changed it subtly, but they turned it into a lovable caricature where yuns, which is ugly, is pronounced yins, which has something more of a cosmopolitan ring to it. So with without mocking the locals at all, they, they made these lovingly informed, reverential, 
skits making fun of the Pittsburgh characters, and Donnie Iris is that kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, he's the type of guy who will say yins from from time to time, <laughs> um, unprompted, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh -huh. So they started making sketches about him and references to him and instead of becoming offended that they were uh making fun of him on the radio or as we would say in pittsburgh are you just ripping on me on the radio <laughs> he embraced it and he eventually became part of those skits and i uh, won't bore your listeners with trying to describe them but if you're from pittsburgh they are hilarious uh -huh. they're funny so he became part of a cultural wave that, that literally updated the the local idiom in the local uh -huh. character for a new century yeah and, it's uh, it that, yeah, when that you were, happened his career revived as well when you were telling that story in the book it reminded me a lot of rick astley and the rick rolled phenomenon exactly because that kind of thing he uh you know rick retires and he doesn't have any street cred really donnie's a little different but rick astley doesn't really have any street cred and that Rick Rolling joke becomes such a thing. And at first that may have bothered him, but he eventually grew to embrace it. And because he embraced it and had a sense of humor about himself, now he, he's considered sort of, you know, a, a elder statesman. We're so glad to still have Rick with us. And it's because he could laugh at himself. And Donnie was able to do that with this thing. Yeah, and from, from the get-go, he didn't take a moment to adjust. He thought, hey, yeah. you're talking about me. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. you having me on your show. What can I do for you? Yeah, Donnie has no ego that way. No, he doesn't. How does he still sound so good at 80? He's he's a character. This will sound like a stretch, but he is in many ways very comparable to Ronnie James Dio. Oh. Italian uh, has a voice that is just genetically there. You know, yeah. he certainly worked on it, but nobody had to teach him how to sing like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, again, he worked on it, but nobody said, here's how you hit these high notes and scream like that. Mm -hmm. He could always just do it. He got in the game at a very young age and started singing as a popular singer before the kind of music that he would become famous for even existed. You know, Ronnie James Dio played with Ronnie and the Red Cap singing right. doo-wop, and yeah. there was no heavy metal. There was no proto-heavy metal. Mm -hmm. There was no Black Sabbath, and there was sure as hell, you know, not Richie Blackmore yet. Uh -huh. So Donnie is, is a character like that. He's just, he's got some gifts, and he has always, as it says in the book, Donnie has always shared his gifts with people. He's mm -hmm. never made them about me and Donnie. Yeah, yeah. He's a force of nature. Okay, let's talk about the albums you go it's one of my favorite parts of the book you go album by album and talk about and then you have mark and donnie and sometimes kevin or al Britton or whoever talking about their thoughts on each song i love stuff like that and yeah, my, my was to have them talk about every song and yeah. they didn't have things to say about every song but i no, asked they them about every song <laughs> yes, i tried i noticed especially mark say like i was saying donnie might just say oh i like that song or i don't even remember that song and mark you could just you can tell that he's just in anguish oh i so i so regret writing that song or whatever but anyway the only thing that is on cd or is streaming is the 20th century masters universal greatest hits thing which is what i have and uh i'm, I'm just like what what do we got to do i can kind of understand if you're not going to put like king of cool and the early stuff out on cd but 
why is it not easier to get your hands on like Elwood City or all Alleluia, at least on streaming services? What's the deal? Um, I, Alleluia is on Spotify. The, the Christmas Are you sure? album. A, Let me look because it, I it's don't... a very good Christmas album. I won't bore you with how much I like that, but it is. Long story short, I assure you, I am not being hyperbolic. It is the Donnie. I'm sorry. It is the Sergeant Pepper of Christmas albums. <laughs> and it's, First it's of all, I don't see it on it, but it works. I don't see it unless it's under a different name. Yeah, on Spotify, but those two are both super is... proud of it. It's it's a um it is I'm sorry I'm looking at it here it's one of those screwy to use a Pittsburgh word technological divides Donnie Iris has one Spotify account and Donnie Iris and the Cruisers oh with their independent albums have a second Spotify account that is not controlled by oh there it the, is the label overlords oh. And the Pittsburgh so, made singles on there. Yeah, okay. all this is a single, and so I don't, I can't tell you why they haven't. Yeah, so okay. that's definitely a problem. There are, to answer your question, a lot of technological barriers. Yes, and maybe some of their indie albums that could be up a little bit easier are not. Yeah, yeah, and, I don't collect a, a vinyl, so I don't have you know an easy access to get all those old. I've had to listen. To, I've either downloaded them illegally or I've listened to them on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it's Donnie. They kind of had a major label deal, kind of not. This comes up time and time again in the story. They sort of did, they sort of didn't. They kind of had a deal with MCA, not really. Um, so their albums got buried in the MCA catalog. A few people historically refer to it as Music Cemetery of America. <laughs> I've had a and few then that on was the rolled up that. into the Universal vaults. Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost like at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where there's just this giant, endless warehouse full of this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> and getting somebody to pay attention to that catalog uh, uh, was difficult. Do you know about the the remastered re-releases? from no. 2021 uh, let me tell you about that let me tell okay. you the good news about donnie iris <laughs> please <laughs> so in 2021 consult my notes they reissued the first four of them uh the first four donnie iris and the cruisers albums rock candy did rock candy which has a really outstanding track they do record. they're a great label yep yeah uh with liner notes and pictures they really put the time and effort into it they were re forget if they were remixed or remastered i want to say remastered from the original source tapes by john astley john oh, astley of james really serious renown yeah who also produced uh, a little artist named Derek clapton among many others yes. and mastered yeah. and uh the who? who and the stones and zeppelin yeah, yeah he uh he reducts or redashed or redid all four of the first albums and uh late 2021 they sound really good they're they're louder they're clipped a little bit each different version of them of course audio files can argue the difference yeah but it's great to have all those and they're out there you can find okay them. good well i'm gonna buy them i didn't know those you were get there. a whole set of them now for less than a hundred oh good and that's on. So wait is that just on vinyl or are they on cd no no, no cd 
See okay, the, good. That's what I. I'm, so it, it would take a, a genuine miracle at this point, I think, to get them on vinyl. But cross <laughs> your fingers. Okay. Well, good. That's what I wanted. Those early albums on CD. That would be great. So yeah. To your point, uh, they they are hard to find. Those remastered versions are not streaming, but the truth is out there. The mm -hmm. truth is out. There. It is. Tell us your own personal Donny Ivers story. Well, my first concert was. I'm not sure. It could be one way, it could be the other, but okay. regardless, it was the cruisers. Okay. And here's what I mean by that. My first concert was either Donny Iris and the Cruisers or John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Well, how about that. Wow. It was a long time ago. So it was one <laughs> of those two. One of those two. Wow. When I brought John up, I didn't know that was you were gonna say that. That's cool. Yeah, I mean an amazing guy, great album, lightning yeah. struck. Yeah, and that that's what is interesting to me as as a rock writer. We know what the big success stories are like. I'm more interested in the the outliers. I'm more you know, a, a guy you that speak I speak like, my language, man. That's why I started this. <laughs> a, a guy that I like, uh, a writer named Mark Bernard and podcast host runs with Kevin Smith. He says that every success story is like a prison break. In that once you get out, they seal that up. <laughs> and you can never yeah. do it again. So you have yeah. to figure out your own way to get in or out. And and I yeah. believe in that. I believe in that. So so Donnie Iris singles were coming out as I was discovering music and discovering the radio. I wasn't okay. there for Aaliyah as a breaking single, but when I turned on the radio, it was there and uh the second album was out. So okay. it was in the mix with you know, Van Halen, uh -huh. with the Go-Go's, with Rush. And I never thought, well, this guy is lesser than those. You know, no. I never thought, well, the cars are better. I just thought Donnie Iris. Mm -hmm. And uh, as it turned out, he happened to be a local guy. And as I said, I'm from Pittsburgh, where they put classic rock in the water. Mm -hmm. um, by 1986, I was into thrash. I was into hardcore mostly. The softest stuff that I was listening to at that point was Iron Maiden. Mm. But I would leave the radio on all afternoon in case they played the new Donnie Iris single, oh, really? which as the years went on, they didn't do enough. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Explain why that is in the book. Yeah. So by college, I didn't care if I ever heard Led Zeppelin again, as I said. Uh -huh. And I left Pittsburgh kicking and screaming for my wife's work uh, a few <laughs> years after that. And I spent a year in Maryland, which had no real classic rock radio. Mm. Uh, even DC didn't at the time. You might argue with me about that. You're wrong. <laughs> uh, so in that time, I was able to cleanse my palate of classic rock once and for all. I was able to go 10 minutes without hearing Born to Run. <laughs> Uh, and then after Maryland, we relocated to Ohio, which is similar, if not identical, culturally. And as I said, classic rock on the radio. Nobody pink plays more Pink Floyd. <laughs> no, we play more Pink Floyd. No, we do. <laughs> and it's that kind of place. And one afternoon, Aliyah came on, and I heard it fresh. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is really good. Yeah. Donnie, my hometown guy, he's amazing. And I went to the store looking for a record, um, and it was hard to find. And yeah. eventually, I got it. But then that's when I became the Donny Iris evangelist, telling everybody, "You got to check him out. He should have been huge. You should like it." Mm -hmm. And one of my good friends, the guy that really set all this in motion, a friend of mine named Matt Wardlaw, 
a music writer of some note, veteran radio guy, he noted my enthusiasm for Donnie, and he sent me a radio concert from 1985 at the very end of the classic lineup. And Donnie was introducing the band, and this is a live from Cleveland show, uh, WMMS Coffee Break, legendary coffee or uh, concert series. Donnie's introducing the band, Donnie Iris, classic rock king of Pittsburgh. And he says, on keyboard, Mark Avsek from Cleveland. On drums, Kevin Valentine, Cleveland. On guitar, Marty Lee Honus, Erie. And Al Britton McLean, uh, and I forget where he attributed Al Britton from, but he's not a homegrown Pittsburgh guy. Uh -huh. This was shocking to me. This was shocking to me because Pittsburgh and Cleveland yeah. are one of those blood rivalry towns. They don't like each other, and they don't like each other because they're so similar. You know, uh -huh. you put yourself in in a room with somebody who has the same bad attitude you do, <laughs> and you know exactly what is wrong with that guy. <laughs> right. But that was shocking to me. Like, what do you, Donnie Iris, the king of Pittsburgh? You're telling me half his band is from Cleveland? And he's he's the only one from Pittsburgh? That's what? Uh -huh. What does that mean? There's there's a story there. Yeah. And so long story short, 15 years later, I was able to get the story out there. That's wild. That's wild. I love it. I love that you were so devoted to it. I I feel like this book needs to be sold at all of their concerts. It is on, at it the is. merch it table. Fact, <laughs> it is. It's an official book. They own it. Oh, we good. Published it independently. Another thing that I am evangelical about is the power of independent media. Yes. You know, at this point, you don't need to give up ninety percent of your money so you can subsidize some douche's lunch in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in this era you can get so much done by yourself without giving up all the money. Yeah, uh, and and thanking them to take all of your money. So this was something that I produced with the band, with Good. their approval, their their partnership. Anytime you buy it, it's not. Well, I am getting a cut of it, but. Mm -hmm. When you buy it, you're supporting the band directly, whether it's on Amazon or at the shows where it is. That's great. That's great. Perfect. Okay. How many times have you seen them live? Not that many. Not that many. The okay. band I've seen live the most is um, Grand Buffet, another Pittsburgh band. I've seen them maybe 26 times. But Donnie, mm. maybe something around five, maybe less. Okay. As a as a music writer, I had almost a career ending injury. I got tinnitus really bad oh. really early on, Ooh. and that has really limited what I've been able to do as a music writer. You know, it's not the same as Dimaggio blowing out, or uh, as Mickey Mantle blowing Mickey out Mack. his knee, but it was that kind of thing. Like, sure. Oof, I'm hurt. There's only so much I can do. I'm limited. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't go see a lot of shows. I mean. I mow the lawn and my, my ears ring for anywhere between half an hour and two days. Oh, man. So for me to go see somebody live, it has to be something really special that I'm willing to um, yeah. to take a real risk to go to see. So I'm not it. going to the 80th anniversary show, but I will be there in spirit. I've never seen them. And, and just hearing that he's 80 years old makes me think. I got, and that he's still in good shape. So there's still, you know, there's half a dozen shows a year or so that I might have to make a little pilgrimage over there one of these times and go see them finally. They're worth going or maybe I'll pay them there. to come pay play at my house. <laughs> Here's a couple grand, Mark and Donnie. Come sing at my house. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm so I don't like to talk money with bands, but I'm curious how the money works. You know, when do you have mailbox money? Mm -hmm. uh, how much mailbox money is that? Is it mortgage money? Is it liquor money? That's and for exactly the band, you know, I'm pretty sure they don't make money on most of the things they do. The band is is very much uh, a bowling league. Yeah, they get to sing, they get to sing, they get to have fun, they get to be together. And uh, I think that's why they do it. They're certainly not doing it for the money. Yeah. And I don't think they're doing it for the adulation. You know, there have been times when they have very directly just been doing it for themselves. And there was a point when Kevin Valentine, the drummer, said, Hey, man, we got to make this more about the fans. Mm -hmm. And you know, to their credit, they did. But yeah. there was a time when Kevin stood up and said, you know, we play the same set every time. These people come see us. They love us. They're standing out in the rain for us. We got to mix up the set list a little. That's right. But Good I mean, it's him. a great band. You can see live. It it's very uh, it's very much a family-oriented atmosphere. It's fun. They don't play big venues generally. They're worth going no. to see. Yeah. All right, last question. Uh, other than Aliyah, we always kick these things off with a song of my choice and a song of your choice. I would probably pick That's the Way Love Ought to Be because Mark felt so strongly that not releasing that as the first single off that album is what take their career. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, I'll pick that one. How should we go out? You know, I, if if you... <sighs> If you don't want to buck up for a full set of the CDs, which you should, but if you don't want to, the Millennium Collection, the Millennium Masters best of the first four albums is what you want to have. It's that's, what solid I, that's the one set, I do have. Yep. Produced well. It's very good. You can get that easily. You can stream that right now. I'm going to tell you about a song that's not on that. Mm -hmm. That collection is from their first four albums. The song from their fifth album that I love, 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 love is injured in the game of love mm. i i'm a science fiction fantasy geek kind of guy i know for a fact somewhere out there there is a parallel dimension or alternate timeline or mm. parallel universe where mark sold this song to bon jovi and it was a giant hit for them and it plays on the radio all day every way somewhere uh, this is just such a fun song it's ecstatic it's not perfect i mean in the cruisers catalog you have a lot of songs that are five sixths of a great song or three minutes too long uh -huh. but this one is just it's, it's great because it is the way they made it yeah and that's the okay. song i love and it's a happy fun song the chorus is i like girls and rock and roll <laughs> i like girls and rock and roll who does <laughs> it's true it's true it is <laughs> that's the song i would encourage everybody okay to pick up. try not to watch the video it's it's a little uh <laughs> low budget we'll say that one is definitely low budget as opposed to aliyah but it's it's a fun damn song get a vid get a copy of it by any means necessary wink wink yeah yeah you like fun Good. music it's a fun song check it out i agree it, it is my thesis that donnie iris and the cruisers are the the great best kept secret from the golden age of fm radio mm. that makes a lot of sense and the thing like i was saying earlier the people who love them wish they were bigger because one of the reasons is when i listen to them and i compare it to what was bigger and on the radio and i think this is just as good if not better why them and not donnie why not donnie in this situation and i guess it's just because they didn't have the machine behind them that others do but i don't know 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's it, we spell it out in in the book. Uh, you know, we don't dwell on what doesn't happen, but you know, in in the abstract, life is not fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not in radio. I mean, they were they were in the major leagues. Maybe if you want to quibble, you can say they were in the minors and they never got the call up. Mm-hmm. But for them to have the limited support and the limited backing and the limited promotional budget that they did. Nobody was walking around the country on their behalf, slinging out bags full of suspicious white powder <laughs> and saying, play Donnie Iris. That's the right. only reason that people played them was because they liked them and they thought it was good music. That's right. And that got them a lot further than most people do. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, one last kudos to you. You quoted out of nowhere Michael Wilbon in your book, and I watch yes. PTI every day. And so, Ferris <laughs> uh, is my kind of guy. Anyone who's drawing, pulling a quote from Michael Wilbon of all people and pulling it into this book, that's my kind of guy. So, <laughs> well, I want to thank, thank you, you for that. <laughs> hey, thank you for reading. You know, you're the exact kind of person that um, I would want to read this book and like uh-huh. it. So, it makes me happy that you enjoyed it. Absolutely. I read it. Uh, we went to Hawaii. Well, I was reading it before and then we, I took it on my trip to Hawaii with my family and there were days when it was raining or it was, we couldn't decide what to do, or we had just come in from the, the everyone's sunburn from the beach or whatever. And I would just lay on my bed and think, well, I'm going to read, you know, 20 more pages of my Donnie Iris book while we figure out what we're doing. And so when it, forever, this book will remind me of my vacation to Hawaii. It's just, <laughs> well, thank you. But I, yes. tried to, I tried to make it that kind of book. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but I was once reading a, a book about a classic rock band. Mm. And it had 10 chapters and each one was 40 pages. Mm. And it was just a slog. And at a certain point, I'm like, oh, God. No, just, I want to know about Bob O'Reilly. Okay. Tell me like, where is it? I hate that. You know, this is in the intervening years. There have been a few at 75 books, Uh Bowie at 75, Alice Cooper at 75. I've had both those guys on years ago before it was trendy. I wrote an at 75 book. It's Donnie Iris at 75 years old, 75 chapters. That's right. It's the kind of book that you can pick up, put down, pick up, put down. You want to find out about Aaliyah, there's a chapter called Aaliyah. Uh You want to find out about this chapter, every album gets its own chapter, every side band. I don't want to make it difficult to read. I want to make it an accessible, easy, readable book that you can take on vacation with you. Yes. Enjoy. So I'm glad it's so fun. It did. It worked. Thank you, Ferris, for all of this. Um, Like I said, this is, uh, I'm happy. Are you happy? Did we cover Um, everything? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. There you have it, DX Ferris. Thanks, Ferris, for for joining me on this and for sharing your book. So, guys, we have a spare copy of the book that I want to give away. As you know, the deal is you got to be a Patreon supporter. It's only two bucks a month kind of set it and forget it and it puts you in the running to win any swag i ever get cds books whatever it might be albums and so i'm going to pull a winner this coming weekend and uh at random and whoever it is you'll get the book okay but so sign up for patreon the link is in the description of this show and i don't know how but dive into some donny iris music if you haven't already i i have the cd because i collect cds and that's almost all there is out there but uh, a lot of it's on youtube you might have to dig around maybe go buy it buy it on vinyl 
But uh, there's so much good Donny Iris music out there. Okay? Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.